The care readings from Second Peter, chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. Let me pray uh, as we come to this final passage in 2 Peter. Let's pray together. Father, these words are written here for our good. They are written because we need them uh, if we're going to keep going. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of all that you have in store uh, for those who are yours that we might persevere to the end, that we might be with Christ in his glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Peter finished his letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how Paul closes this letter of 2 Peter that we've been looking at these weeks, by urging us to grow in holiness. Grow in holiness so that we're ready for when Jesus returns. Why? Well, because if we're not growing in holiness, we will fall away from our secure position. That's what he says. You will not make it as a Christian You will be carried away by the error of the lawless. You will give up before the day of judgment comes. You will stand before the coming of Jesus and he will say, I do not know you. That's why Peter has written this letter to remind these Christians to keep going. It's a very real danger for them that they might fall away. And it is a very real danger for us, which is why we need to hear it too. And so Peter will urge us, make every effort uh, to grow. Think of it uh, a bit like this. Imagine a couple um, are expecting a baby. Uh, They go uh, to the hospital for their 20-week scan. And the midwife says to them, everything, everything's fine. Everything seems fine. Baby is growing well. Now imagine if um, it's a very advanced baby, so run with it, use your imagination. The baby hears that. The baby hears the midwife say, everything's fine, uh, growing well. And the baby thinks, oh, great. 
Um, I think I'm doing all right. I think I'll stop growing. Um, I've, you know, I've, 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 I've been here, I've been around for a, for a long while, at least 20 weeks. I've got my fingers, I've got my toes, I've got all my organs, everything's in place. Why do I need to keep growing? Time just to, to sit back uh, and wait. Now, of course, that would be ridiculous, but it would also be dangerous. And that child needs to keep growing. If he stops growing, his very survival uh, is, uh, is in danger. And so, too, Peter uh, tells us as it wraps up, and that's, that's a bit what it's like for us. It is tempting, uh, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, to, to just sit back, to just wait uh, for Jesus to return. You know, I, I don't really need to grow anymore. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for uh, a few years. I've been around a while. I've got the basics uh, nailed down. Two Peter would say, don't say that. Don't think that. Don't live like that. Because if you stop growing, your survival as a Christian is in danger. You will not make it to the end. We've been in in 2 Peter for a few weeks, and I guess we can't help but notice that he is all about the return of Jesus. Peter wants us to be certain that Jesus will return. And despite what uh, the scoffers will say, despite them denying the fact, Jesus will come back and there will be a judgment in which everything on this earth will be exposed. And as he wraps it up, Peter, Peter lands it for us. And this isn't just something that we think and know. It makes a difference. It makes a difference to how we live uh, each day. Because if we've understood it rightly, then Jesus' return changes everything uh, about our every day. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Is given the very real danger uh, that a Christian might fall away, how should we live? And why should we live like that? Those are the two questions we're going to, we're going to think about. How should we live, and why should we live like that? The, the points are on your sheet if you do want to follow along. How should we live? Well, Peter says two things, by looking forward and making every effort. Let's look at looking forward at first. Three times in this passage, Peter describes Christians, those who are looking forward to the day when Jesus returns. We get it in verse 12. As you look forward to the day of God, verse 13, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 14, since you're looking forward to this. The Christian is fundamentally someone who is looking forward uh, to the day when Jesus returns. But what does that mean? I guess there are, there are different ways on there to look forward to something. Um, uh, my friend Lizzie is running the London Marathon in whatever it is, April, a couple, couple of months' time. I'm really looking forward to cheering her on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the tracking app that you can get. I'm going to see how she's getting on. And I'm hoping that it, it shall not be too quick and that after the service, I'll be able to go and watch her cross the finish line uh, down on the mile. I'm looking forward uh, to that day, but it doesn't really change how I live today. It doesn't really make a difference. something I'm looking forward to, but it's not making a difference. Lizzie, on the other hand... 
uh, is looking forward uh, to crossing the finish line. And that makes a big difference to how she lives each day. So three, four times a week, she'll get up at 5 a.m. Uh, to go for a training run. Uh, she's, she's not a natural runner, she's a bit like me, but she's putting the miles in. She's working hard because she's looking forward to that day. Her looking forward makes a difference to how she lives now. And Peter says our looking forward is meant to be a bit like that. It's meant to be more like a Lizzie kind of looking forward than a Scott looking forward. We are to look forward today when Jesus will return. And as we look forward to it, we are to be active. We are to do all that we can to be ready for that day. Peter encourages these Christians, look, you are looking forward to that day. So do all that you can now. Look at verse 14 again. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So how should we live? Well, we're to live looking forward. What does that mean? Well, it means making every effort. The reality of Jesus' return and the very real danger that we might fall away, well, that should spur us on to do all that we can today uh, to grow. All that we can to be found blameless, spotless, and at peace when Jesus comes. And so that begs the question, doesn't it? When Jesus returns, how will he find you? Will he find you ready? Battling hard against sin, um, striving for godliness. Will he find you doing whatever it takes? Or uh, will he find you dabbling in sin, being casual about it, half-hearted? Peter isn't saying that any of us will be without sin this side of Jesus' return. But he is saying, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. What does that actually look like? What might that look like in our lives, to be making every effort? Well, it's first and foremost the opposite of how the false teachers were living. Let me remind you from chapter 2 how the false teachers live. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. See, the lives of the false teachers are characterized by seeking after pleasure, adultery, greed, never stop sinning, leading others astray with them. But God's people are not to be that. They're not to be blots and blemishes. They are to be spotless and blameless. So to make every effort is, is not to live for the pleasures of this world. Not like the false teachers. Don't be sucked in uh, by the lies that promise uh, uh, satisfaction life now. I guess not many of us here this morning will, will be in danger of being full-blown hedonists, you know, just living for the moment and uh, living for, uh, for pleasure. But, 
But it is, I guess, particularly in a, in a city like London, it is so easy to live for the things of this world. There is just so much shiny stuff uh, around us. J. Peter says, don't crave the next thing. Don't always be seeking to acquire more and more. Don't live like the false teachers. Why? Well, because they are destined for destruction. So we're not to live like the false teachers. We are to make every effort, well, to be like Jesus. And so in 1 Peter, uh, Jesus is described as a lamb without spot or blemish. It's the same words that are used here. Make every effort to be spotless and blameless. Of course, um, we'll do that imperfectly, won't we? We're we're not Jesus. And of course, we can only do it uh, through his grace, through knowing his forgiveness. But we are supposed to work at it. We are supposed to work hard. This will work itself out in in lots of areas of our lives, but here's one that I think uh, this passage would draw out. Don't think uh, that sexual immorality is not a big deal. See, the world has a pretty low bar, doesn't it, when it comes to faithfulness. And the false teachers certainly had a pretty low bar. They were uh, carousing in, in broad daylight. But God's people are to make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. So let me ask you this. Is... Um, Is spotless and blameless an accurate description uh, of your sexual conduct? If it's not, and for the sake of argument, I'm going to assume it probably isn't for most of us in some way or other. If it's not, well then, make every effort to grow in godliness. What does that mean? What might that mean for us? Well, I think it starts by not not treating it lightly, not thinking that it doesn't matter, and then make every effort and take some practical steps uh, to help. So I don't know, if if your struggle is with pornography, then take some practical steps to grow in godliness. Get some accountability software. Get a friend to hold you accountable. Get rid of your smartphone if that's what it takes. If, if, if your struggle is with fantasizing about the perfect relationship, don't, don't dwell on those thoughts. Fill your, fill your mind with other things. If you're finding it hard to, to be faithful, to remain faithful to your spouse, well, actively work out how you love them well. Spend time with them, love them. I guess that the specific steps that, that each of us will need to take will be different. But all of us are to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. That doesn't mean we, we sort of wallow in our guilt, uh, that we're sort of crushed uh, by our sin. It means that we ask God for the strength uh, that we need to grow And then we actually go and do something about it. If not, Peter says, we are in danger of falling away. 
and it's that serious. God wants us to use this time that he has given us to grow. I look down at verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. We spent a bit of time thinking about this last week, if you were with us. God has given us today for salvation. We are to use the time that he has given us for salvation. What, what does that mean? Well, the Bible uses salvation in, in three ways that I think it's helpful to think about. It, it talks about it in a past, a present, and a future. Okay, so Jesus has saved us from the punishment for our sins. That's past salvation. He has saved us from that punishment. But Jesus is also saving us from the power of sin in our lives now. That is present salvation. The ongoing work that is yet to be completed. And I think that's what Peter is talking about here. The work of saving us from the ongoing power of sin. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. That work, of course, will only be complete when Jesus returns when we are made like him in every way, when, when we will be free from, saved from the presence of sin. The point here um, is that if we're casual about sin, then we put our whole salvation at risk. So Peter says, use today for salvation, to grow in godliness so that you will not fall. That's the answer that that Peter's given us to how should we live? We should live looking forward and making every effort. Why though? Why should we live like that? That's the second question we're going to answer. What is the motivation? The Bible gives us lots of um, motivations uh, to grow in godliness, doesn't it? Uh, For example, you know, I I should fight uh, for godliness now because Jesus has redeemed me because I've been given a new heart, uh, because I've died with Christ, been raised with him. I'm no longer a slave uh, to sin. Those are all right and good motivations that the Bible would urge us to do. The Bible also says, you know, be persistent in the battle against sin as a way of loving others well. And so if I want to love my family well, well, then I battle hard against the anger uh, that flares up because I know it, it harms them. That's, that's another right and good uh, motivation uh, to fight sin. But here, and Peter urges us to make every effort uh, in light of Jesus' return. It is what he's focused on the whole of the letter. It is what he's focusing on here. We should make every effort because of the future, the future that lies ahead. Look down at verse 12. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. See, when Jesus returns, we saw it last week, the world will be destroyed. The heavens will go up in flames. The earth will melt. We need to hear that, don't we? Because often... And we sin because worldliness looks more attractive than godliness. 
we can sort of dress it up in, in Christian language. You know, God wants me to be happy, so I should do whatever feels right uh, at the minute. I'll be fine. But, but I guess we probably all know of Christians who have ended up choosing worldliness over godliness. I, people didn't decide uh, to, to fall away. They didn't want to fall away. But, but in the end, uh, they made the choice of the world over godliness. Here's just, here's just one example of, of how that might work out. When, a, when a, a Christian chooses to start a relationship with a non-Christian, what's going on there? I guess they, they, they think they'll be fine. Um, they know what they believe. They, they don't think that this decision will drag them away uh, from Christ. But see, once I, once I choose uh, the world over Jesus then that person's on a, on a dangerous road. And more often than not, that choice will lead people to fall away. That is, that is a crazy decision, isn't it? If you realize that this world will be destroyed. Why would you ever choose worldliness uh, over godliness? Don't run after things that will not last don't settle for promises of satisfaction now when those, those things one day will melt away. This world will be destroyed. I guess that's, a, that's, a, that's one motivation. We might describe it as a, as a more negative motivation, but there is, a, there is a positive one too, isn't there? The positive motivation is that a new world is coming. A new world is coming. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. See, when Jesus comes back, he will bring a new creation. And so it's not that everything in this world is evil and we should just shun anything that's sort of uh, physical and live in some sort of uh, weird spiritual bubble. There is a physical world to come, one that will be much, much better uh, than this one. And there's one thing, isn't there, that, that Peter picks out about this new creation to motivate us uh, to godliness now. Verse 13 again. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He's talking about future salvation again. One day Jesus will save us from the very presence of sin. In the world to come, there will be no more sin. We can't, we can't even imagine that, can we? Because our world is so, uh, so broken uh, by sin. We can't imagine what we'll be like when we no longer desire sin because it's, it's so a part of who we are. But on that day, we will be changed so that we'll be like him. We won't even want to sin anymore. And that promise, the promise that righteousness will dwell in that new creation, I think it... It motivates us to godliness in two ways. It is, first of all, an encouragement. That world is where you are heading if you're trusting in Christ. Why would I play around with sin now when that's the future that I'm heading towards? It is an encouragement. I think it is also a warning. It says, look, 
if you're messing around with sin now, if you're not growing in godliness, then, then don't think that there's a place in God's new world. The new creation is where righteousness dwells. So make every effort now. The world to come will be so much greater than this one. See, if we know that what is coming is worth it, and we will work now, we will make every effort now. Let me tell you the story of um, a, a relative of mine. We call him Uncle Sam. I don't know how he's actually related uh, to me, but he is a relative. We call him Uncle Sam. Um, as a 19-year-old at the turn of uh, the 20th century, um, Uncle Sam left Ireland for a new life as a farmer in Australia. Um, he had bought a, a small piece of land. He was going to, to work it uh, to earn his keep. But before he left um, Ireland, um, he got engaged uh, to a woman called Betty. The problem was um, that Uncle Sam only had enough money for one one-way ticket to Australia. And so, um, so he, he made that three-month boat trip all by himself, leaving Betty with the promise that when he'd earned enough money, he would buy her a ticket and they would be together. They'd get married and start their life uh, together. As it turned out, when, when Uncle Sam arrived in Australia, um, it was at the beginning of, of an incredibly severe drought, which meant that for seven years, nothing grew uh, on his land. Of course, that meant that there was no money uh, for Betty's ticket. Now, I'm sure there were other uh, women around, um, other women worth marrying that would have made perfectly good wives, even in Australia. <laughs> um, but see, Uncle Sam loved Betty. And so he worked. He worked as hard as he could. I mean, he took jobs uh, where he could. He spent as little as possible uh, to get by. And he used every penny to save up for Betty's ticket and to build them a home. Now, that can't have been easy. Um, but after 11 years, 11 years, he finally had enough money to buy Betty's ticket. And he met her off that boat. And they were married uh, that week. And they had 62 wonderful years uh, of marriage together. See, when the life to come is worth it, you will do whatever it takes now. Even when that's difficult. Even when that means letting other things pass you by. How much more, how much more should we make every effort knowing that the life that will be ours when Jesus returns? Friends, it is worth it. Whatever you give up now to pursue godliness, it does not compare to the life that Christ will bring. So don't risk falling away for something that in comparison will be nothing. Now look, that, that won't be easy. Most other people around you won't be doing it. And believe me, plenty of Christians who say, oh, don't worry about it. 
Don't take it so seriously. Chill out. We're saved by grace. It's easy. Part of us will want to believe that. Our hearts will want to, to take the easy option. But that is not what 2 Peter tells us. 2 Peter tells us, grow in godliness or you may fall. That's what Peter's teaching here. Uh, Peter says it's what Paul teaches in all of his letters. Of course, people will distort that. Uh, They do that with, with all of scripture. But you don't want to follow them. Look, look, look where they end up, verse 16, end of verse 16. Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. So are you going to follow the false teachers? Follow them to destruction? Or are you going to make every effort uh, now? Here's where Peter lands his his letter, where we began uh, from verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Peter says, don't fall away. Grow You have been forewarned, so stand firm. Know that the false teachers will come. They'll come claiming that Jesus isn't coming back, that it's not worth it. It's not worth uh, fighting for godliness now. Live how you like. Peter would say, don't be carried away by the error of the lawless. Don't be casual about sin. Don't think that godliness doesn't matter. Don't make half-hearted efforts. Make every effort. Otherwise, you risk the very real danger of not making it, falling from your secure position. Don't do that, Peter says. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've been trying to work out what that, what that last bit means. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you grow in a gift? Grace is a gift. How do you grow in it? If you've got any ideas, uh, come find me at the end. I think, it's, I think it's that every day you grow in grace as you battle sin in his strength. As you apply his grace to your heart so that you grow as you use today for salvation. As that grace works in your heart and makes you more like Jesus every day. And Peter says that will be worth it. Because that new world will be all about Jesus and his glory. He will have the glory both now and forever. And so it is worth making every effort now. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are challenged once again by your words to make every effort to grow in godliness, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace when Jesus comes.
Father, that is not something we can do in our own strength. But it is something we must work at. So, Father, please would we be those who grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. That day by day, he would be more real to us, more wonderful. That the world to come would, uh, would be more real, would be clearer before us, and would motivate us now to do whatever we can uh, to strive for godliness. Father, if we're feeling wounded and, and broken, uh, would we rely on your grace? Father, where we're lazy and complacent, please help us to, to wake up to the danger that we might be with Christ on that day. In whose name we pray.